the new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheeled arches and Matrix-designed LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers in just 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is truly performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. In addition to being the latest episode, this one is also the last episode for Season 4, with 21 episodes the most EV-packed yet. To wrap up the season, I'm joined by Plugged In producer Darm McWana to talk about some of the highlights from the past season, what we've learned from our wide range of guests, and where the EV revolution is taking us next. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Darm. How are you? I'm very well. It's wonderful to speak with you, and um, it's nice to sit on the other side of the uh, the microphone, as it were. Yeah, it's been really fun producing uh, season four, and I have to say, I have a bunch of questions for you. Um, for our listeners who don't know, Andrew and I sit maybe 20, 30 feet away from each other, and oftentimes, because I'm not the EV expert, I'll see something on YouTube or I'll read a story. Uh, and I'll walk over to Andrew and I'll ask him, you know, hey, what do you think of this or what do you think of that? And he'll say, no, Darm, like, that's totally wrong. Uh, go back to your desk and leave me alone. So <laughs> I'll start with just looking back at this season. What were some of the highlights of season four and why? Yeah, well, I guess one of the highlights was we did uh, 21 episodes, or at least this is the 21st. So that's by far our record by more than half. So that's been a lot of fun. It's certainly been a wide range of topics, which has been great, too. Sometimes I think that, you know, when I set up an interview, I start thinking, okay, what about the next one? And I get nervous thinking there's not going to be any content. But as we've seen with the electric vehicle revolution, topics are endless, it seems. There's there's all kinds of things happening. So one of the really interesting ones and one I think about a lot is uh, Jerry Diaz, the uh, Unifor president. Seems like an odd one to talk about on electric vehicle podcast, but he's a very smart guy. He's a very connected guy. And obviously he's very involved with auto workers particularly in Ontario. And he, along with some governments, really pulled off a bit of a coup by getting a lot of investment in the EV manufacturing space there. But more what I liked about talking to him is his kind of the sense that it's a real opportunity right now for Canada to kind of, you know, become EV experts, EV manufacturers, supply chain experts. It's a real opportunity for Canada. And I can't help but think we need to act on that. And I'm hoping that people that listen to Jerry or can go back and listen to it kind of came to the same conclusion. I was going to ask, did any major themes evolve from season four? Well, I think that was one of them was, was I mean, a lot of the people we talked to were involved in the manufacturing and the kind of big picture, not the vehicles, not themselves, the vehicles themselves, but kind of the infrastructure and how Canada can play this role from mining materials to building EVs to building batteries to research and development. I think the big theme is this idea that Canada is positioned to become a real player if we act. And getting back to Jerry, I think one of the best things he said is what Canada needs is an EV czar. We need somebody, I guess, in government, maybe quasi-government, but kind of at the 
top of the pyramid that can kind of oversee and kind of coordinate all these various things to make it happen. And I don't know. I'm skeptical. I, I really think in 10 years, if we don't seize this 10 years from now, we'll look back and think, wow, we had this opportunity and we let it slip by. Do you think that opportunity is already slipping by a little bit? In the U.S., President Biden is very much for electrifying the federal fleet, and he wants these cars to be made in America, these electric vehicles. And I'm wondering, should Canada be trying to to find a way to cooperate there, to provide parts, to provide innovation, something like that? Because it seems like that's the big North American opportunity. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. As I say, Ontario does have some, um, you know, skin in that game with some promises by some manufacturers. Ford GM is starting to build their delivery vehicles in Ontario. So that's great. Here's something that was a recent episode, and that was the Azatec hydrogen truck program in Alberta. And that's an actual pilot project where they're going to run two big rigs fueled by hydrogen on fuel cells for 18 months to see how that works. That's a real world thing. That's exciting. Just recently, last week, BC's government came out with these grandiose announcements about hydrogen. I mean, there was no substance to it. And I think we're seeing a lot. I mean, substance in the sense that it was more just a policy paper. And I think that's one of the problems we're kind of seeing in the in the climate change era is there's just lots of talk, but the action needs to be followed up. And obviously the action takes money. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people, as I found on my podcast, doing all kinds of things in Canada, and they just need to seem to find to have some kind of uh, playing field where they can all work, work together. And I just don't see that tying together just yet. In your mind, what's the ideal position for Canada in fitting in this EV production landscape? Is it Innovation Hub? Is it strictly manufacturing for major OEMs? What do you see our country doing? What do you, what do you see in our future? I think we are farm to table when it comes to EVs. We have the minerals that are going to be required, that are required. We have the certainly have the uh, uh, workforce to build these things. We also have clean energy. You know, Quebec and Montreal, or I'm sorry, Quebec and British Columbia have hydropower, which is clean energy. And if you've been paying attention globally, a lot of automakers are promising to have their manufacturing centers to be carbon neutral. Well, you can't be carbon neutral if you're powering your plant by coal or, you know, by uh, fuel-fired energy. So Canada has this massive opportunity from mining to, to manufacturing to R&D to do it. So I don't think there's any aspects of EVs that Canada isn't positioned to do. It's just a matter of seizing it now instead of letting all these other countries, which are very eager to get involved, to become involved. I want to transition away from policy and sort of the the big production picture and talk about things more from a consumer perspective. Uh, when we started this podcast, I was very new to electric vehicles. And my first big light bulb moment was, oh, you know, Tesla is kind of like Kleenex. When people think of electric cars, they think of Tesla. They don't think of, you know, whatever iPace or other type of electric vehicle is out there. A lot's changed uh, since the launch of this podcast. Is Tesla still positioned to be the dominant EV manufacturer uh, in North America and the world? Or do you see other challenges coming up? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Tesla, I mean, it still is kind of the Kleenex. Um, last year, 2020 in North America, 75% of EVs sold. So three out of four were Teslas. That's better than it was. It was 90%. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, we're seeing so many more, every manufacturer is in the EV world now. And if they, if they follow through on their promises that they've made, we're going to have a flood of EVs. There'll be more EVs than there are, um, combustion engine cars for sale in five years. So I think obviously because of that, Tesla's market share is going to go down. What do you make of Ford's past year? Because they had the F-150 Lightning and the Mustang Mach-E. Uh, the Mach-E received a lot of critical praise. Uh, and then I think the F-150 Lightning caught people's imagination about what a, a work vehicle can be, an electric work vehicle. For sure. And that's and that's really where Tesla, I mean, obviously in, in North America, pickup trucks are massive sellers. The F-150 is, is the consistent top selling vehicle, let alone truck. Um, it outsells cars. So obviously, if, if Ford can pivot to an electric version, which will work for a lot of people, working people in particular, uh, trades people, that will be a huge win for them. And I don't see why that won't happen. What will be interesting, I think, in that front um, and getting back to Ontario manufacturing vehicles, the problem with the Ford, I think, is going to be that it's not going to qualify for the rebates. Um, the rebates are currently 45000 and 55000 threshold, provincially and federally. So I think what you're going to see, because the Ford is probably going to come out a little more than that. So I think you're going to see the government's kind of juice that a little. And if they do that, um, one of the reasons the model Tesla 3 sells so well in Canada is because it qualifies for incentives. Uh, the Mach-E does not. The Ford Mach-E does not. That's a problem. So I think that you'll see a, a higher threshold and suddenly that'll bring a lot more cars into the conversation for people. Um, the price point is coming down in EVs. Batteries are getting less expensive. So I think, as you said, when we started this podcast, we kind of thought by season four, it will be done, a done deal. As we're learning, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take decades for EVs to become um, uh, the dominant vehicle. And I'm not sure. And I don't think for 50 years, I mean, quite frankly, I'm not sure if they will be the only vehicles. I think you're going to have to have other technologies. The other thing that comes to mind for me, at least with Tesla, is how it operates in the rest of the world and it's no longer the dominant electric vehicle retailer in china uh, and there's all these little you know startups that are producing really unique cars how much should canadians be paying attention to what's happening in china yeah i mean that's that's an interesting question just because obviously there's never been a chinese manufacturer selling cars in canada will that happen with evs I have a feeling it's going to be a very protective uh, industry. I think Canadian governments, as we've seen the Trump tariff that took place in the States under Trump and Biden hasn't changed it, is really prohibitive to China selling vehicles in those markets. So I think from a technology standpoint, it's interesting to look at. But again, as I've said on the podcast, the, the car makers that have been making cars for 100 years, the the Volkswagens, the the, the Nissans, the Fords, the Chryslers, or the Stellantis as it is now, the GMs, those are the ones I think that are going to be the ones that people go to simply because of that that belief in their manufacturing process. The Chinese upstarts, I'm not sure if the quality's there. And to some extent, that's kind of Tesla's um, uh, Achilles heel, I think, is their their build quality. Um, and certainly over time, some of these cars are only two years old. What are they going to look like in five years? So by the end of this decade, it's going to look a lot different. And a lot of these questions obviously will be answered. So with that said, how seriously should we take EV startups like Rivian, Canoe, Lordstown Motors? They capture people's imagination. 
but they may not necessarily be producing quality vehicles and they definitely don't have a hundred years of experience backing them up. I would not take them seriously at all. Um, I think from Lordstown, we've seen, I think a lot of it is vaporware. A lot of it is stock plays. A lot of it is venture capitalism. The idea of coming out with a shiny new bauble and hopefully some big manufacturer or some big venture fund will buy you. I think that's what it's about. I don't see them following through and becoming serious players. I think everybody is is trying to be, because of Tesla's success, I think a lot of people are thinking they can do that. But obviously, as we've seen, no one's pulled that off yet. The other thought that I have a lot lately uh, is, especially from the consumer perspective, there's this push to diversify the, the number and types of electric vehicles out there. But charging infrastructure still seems very one track. So I'm going to a mall. Uh, I'm going to the grocery store. Maybe there's a maybe there's a a charging stand there or a charging station there. There's no guarantee that it's a a level three charger by any stretch. Do we need to start thinking about in home charging infrastructure, subsidizing stratas, making it as easy as possible for people to who buy an EV to get something serious at their home parking stall? Because you know, like if I can't make it convenient to drive an EV, why would I? Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is unequivocally yes. Um, interesting talking about when we started this podcast, I didn't think the infrastructure was that essential. I was more focused on getting the EVs, the, the actual vehicles into people's hands and, and giving them choice. Now, infrastructure is what it's all about. That's the one thing that will be holding back this EV revolution and is holding it back. You know, there are charging stations, but more and more I'm hearing from EV owners that they're finding it difficult because the charger, the two chargers at their work, now there's 10 people with EVs. That is is the number one priority. Obviously, automakers, the Teslas of the world, I mean, that's another selling point for Tesla is their network. It's ever expanding and they they're the ones who have done the best job. And I think a lot of people will buy a Tesla simply because they'll put a charger in at home, but then they know there's a pretty robust charging system on the roads. You know, one of the interesting things with when we had David Booth on the show talking about his Rangefinder series, which essentially is testing the range of EVs on the highway. Um, David, who is an EV skeptic, I mean, he's certainly come around. He he understands the the technology and I think appreciates it. But it, what he said is true. And what he said was for city for the city, EVs are here. If you just need a city car, an EV is a no brainer. It's only when you want to go further afield when EVs become challenging from a, from a, from a finding a charger aspect to sitting longer and to spending more time on the road. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really the infrastructure. Um, as you say, stratas, I mean, that's, that's a problem, um, local chargers. So that's where it really has to step up. And, and until that happens, I mean, here's the thing, the automakers have fulfilled their promise. They've kept their end of the bargain. They have produced EVs. They are bringing EVs to market. Now it's up to people to buy them. And one of the reasons, if you don't have a you know, suburban home with a charger in your garage, it's a real challenge to have an EV. Um, there's, you know, The district hall just down from me has three EVs, chargers, and there's just a litany of cars there constantly, of probably people who live in the neighborhood just charging their cars. Um, and, and that's hitting a critical point already. So um, you're right. Infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Is that part of the problem that these charging stations are public? If they were, 
if they're private or if you had to book in or pay or something, something that was a bit more structured than just, oh, I'm driving by and there's a charging station open. Um, you, there would be there'd be a greater push to get this uh, into people's homes, uh, more perhaps commercial type charging stations. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. I, I, yeah. And some of these are, I mean, the flow one near me is free, but the, there's a charge point at the rec center here and it, it, you have to pay, you have to be a member of that to, to use it. BC Hydro has some free DC chargers, which are the fast chargers, which are always busy, but yeah, no question. Um, you know, we're seeing Petro Canada start. I mean, Petro Canada has done a great job um, on the highways, highway one, they've created a huge uh, trans Canada network at their stations. Um, we just saw on the run in is, which is kind of like a, like an SO brand, I guess, um, they've committed to 25 charging stations at their places. So I think you're seeing these gas companies, which have pivoted to become energy companies start to do that too. And that will be a big thing also. So again, it's the private sector that is going to probably, you know, they're going to make money at this. Um, but then it's also an issue with, with the, the, the public sector trying to kind of offset that. So you know, municipalities can put up, you know, one or two charging stations and do their photo ops, but that's not really growing it. That's just kind of um, just, you know, it's 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 kind of a half measure. It's virtue signaling, maybe. I think to some extent. And I yeah, mean, maybe that's a different podcast. That's not for us. We're more con- we're more concerned about the electric vehicles. Um, yes. And right. so maybe let's go back to let's go back to season four. We covered a lot of ground in terms of EVs in general. And then definitely, definitely the you hit on a bunch of great points, especially Canada and how it figures into this global EV world. Are you more hopeful or less about the EV revolution? You know, I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. I'm still hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's happening. Let's put it that way. The momentum is there. Um, I guess what worries me is this kind of expectation that, you know, there's all these darts being thrown out 2035, 2040, 2050. You know, I don't see EVs replacing every single gasoline vehicle for for decades. Um, you know, I you know this terrible wildfire in Lytton really made me think that in Lytton, BC, I'm sure all the listeners know about that, where the the town burned to the ground in a matter of minutes almost. What if you had just come home and it, let's let's say that was 20 years from now and everybody there had an electric vehicle, no gas vehicles. So what if you had just come home from a trip and you had like four percent on your car? And you plugged it in and then suddenly this wildfire comes and you have to flee. That could be a problem for you because, I mean, obviously, if your car is out of gas, you're in a similar situation. But if you ask a lot of people that live in rural areas, their tanks are always at least half full just because they have to go places. Likewise, um, the power out is out there now for two or two to three weeks, BC Hydro says. So so you, you don't have an electric grid. So. This is the reason why I think for certain places, rural areas, um, the rescue vehicles, for example, all the fire trucks, are they going to be electric? Are they going to maybe be vulnerable for this kind of power grid failure? So I, I see EVs as a huge part of the urban mobility, a massive part, 90%. But in terms of bigger picture, further afield, I still think you're going to need these kind of combustion engines to kind of keep the world moving. Finally, uh, what are the plans for season five? Well, hopefully you and I can actually see each other and we can record a few episodes in our studio again. That would yeah. be that would be one of my first plans. I mean, I think I think the, the great thing is with the, with the pandemic kind of on its heels now, um, travel's opening up. So we'll be able to get out and about to auto shows and 
here and talk to experts more than we have been. Um, I think that there's so many more vehicles. I mean, one of the interesting things about this season is apart from the first show with um, our friend, Mr. Bacor, we didn't really talk about vehicles. We didn't really talk about new vehicles. Um, so I think, you know, once we hit season five, when it starts, there's so many more new vehicles that I've driven and that are coming that I think will kind of get a spice of some more vehicles in there along with, as we always do policy and, and uh, you know, the technology of EVs. One last thing. I'm trying to get Elon Musk as a guest. He's my white whale. So stay, <laughs> stay tuned. Okay. I think that's it for our final episode of season four. For everyone, that's Andrew McCready, journalist, author, and podcast host. That's it for this episode and for the season. Much thanks to producer extraordinaire Darm McWana and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll be back in the fall for season five. Make sure you have subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so that you'll get notification when we're back. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. Check out the site's comparison tool for head-to-head shopping and sign up for the Blind Spot newsletter, delivered to your inbox every Saturday morning and featuring a roundup of the past week's most important and most entertaining automotive news.